Today we're going to be jumping into uh, the last chapter of the book of Jonah. We've been studying this book for, this is for the fourth week, and we're finishing up this study. Last week I said uh, in the message that of all the minor prophets in the Old Testament, Jonah has to be the most minor of the prophets because his prophecy uh, is only half of one verse long. Half of one verse long. Jonah's message to the city of uh, Nineveh was very brief. In the Hebrew, it was only five words. But through this minor prophet, through this little book, God has provided us a treasure chest of, of wisdom. And so as we've jumped into this story for the last three weeks, God's just been speaking to us about so many things. I, I won't take a lot of time to rehearse all of it with you today, but let me just say, if God speaks to your heart out of this message today... And you missed some of the previous messages in the series. I want to encourage you to go back on the website and listen to those previous chapters. Let God speak to your heart out of this incredible, incredible little book. In chapter 1, God called Jonah uh, to go and to preach to Nineveh. And the Bible says Jonah ran the other way. In every chapter of this book, we've seen Jonah running. First, he ran from God. And so in chapter 1, we learn what it looks like to run from God. And truth be told, none of us needed to know what it looks like to run from God because we've all probably done that before. But the more important lesson in chapter 1 is that we see what it looks like for God to run after you. That while Jonah was running away from God, God was pursuing him. He had a purpose for him and his grace catches up to him. And in the last verse of the first chapter, the Bible says the Lord provided a fish to swallow Jonah. And then we move into chapter 2, and Jonah is not running from God anymore. He's running to God. He's calling on God, help me, help me. He's calling on God to save him. He turns back to God. He begins to pursue God with all of his heart. He prays. The Bible says that I love this verse just because it's so unusual. But in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, and Jonah prayed from inside the fish. And I can just tell you today, there's no wrong time or wrong place to pray. Jonah prayed from inside a fish. And God heard his prayer because he saw his heart of repentance. And Jonah got back on the right track. And then last week, Father's Day weekend, we looked at Jonah chapter 3. And we saw Jonah in the sweet spot of life. He wasn't running from God. He wasn't running back to God out of repentance. He was running with God. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 3, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And last week, the the challenge uh, for us, for all of us men, and for all of us as the people of God, was to not live your life in the perpetual sin cycle of chapter 1 and chapter 2. Of seeking God and, and, and asking God to bail you out, and then when He does, you turn and run away from God again until you have another crisis, until you have another storm, and then you... Call on God in chapter 2 and ask Him to help you again until He does. And then you, you know, you just clean the, the vomit off uh, because you've been spit out of the whale of your circumstances. And then you just go right back to the mess again. How many of you know God wants more for you than coming to church on Sunday and waking up by a toilet bowl on Saturday? So let's not live in that cycle of wipe the vomit off and get right with God and then go back to the life of sin again. In chapter 3, he begins to actually run with God. He finds the purpose that God had for his life. He goes and he preaches to Nineveh. And yes, his message was short. Five little words in his original language. 
But the message was powerful. And because he did what God said do, the people of Nineveh repented. This wicked people turned from their sin. They put on sackcloth and ash. They, it was an outward way of saying they humbled their heart before God. And God had mercy on them. Now in chapter 4, we're going to see the issue of Jonah's heart that was concealed be revealed. And I just want to say to you by way of introduction, before we read the text, that that's exactly what the Word of God wants to do in your life and in my life. He does it to me all of the time. As I open up my Bible and I have my morning devotion and I read the Word of God, I've learned this, that if I read the Word of God, the Word of God will read me. And the Holy Spirit is alive and active. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that God's Word is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates. And that's what happens. As I read the Word, it reads me. It's, it's alive. It's not like any other book you can pull off the shelf. There's breath on the page. The Holy Spirit breathes life through the book. And as you read the Word of God, it reveals those things that are hidden. Jesus even said this in Luke 12. He said, nothing that is concealed will not be disclosed or anything hidden that will not be made known. Everything's going to be made known. Everything's going to be revealed. And that's what we see in chapter 4. The, the issues of the heart, the things that were really motivating Jonah come out. And, and what we learn in chapter 4 is that Jonah's not running from God. He's not running back to God But he's also not running with God anymore. He makes a mistake that a lot of Christians make. Jonah begins to run ahead of God. And I want to challenge you today as we hear his story and see his mistake to allow the Holy Spirit to read you as you read this story. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about the areas of your life that you might be getting ahead of God with your assumptions. In chapter 2 and verse 9, We read this statement. Jonah made this incredible vow while he was being rescued in a fish. He said, but with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. That was his commitment. He had made up his mind to be a prophet who delivers the message and not a judge who decides the verdict. But in chapter 4, we see a different story. And that's the way it is for a lot of Christians. They found freedom in Christ. They found hope in the resurrection. They found forgiveness of their sins. But the longer we walk with Jesus, the longer we walk in His grace, the easier it is for us to want to play judge and jury over the sins of others. Amen? So why don't we take our Bibles, Jonah chapter 4, and let's stand together just as we've done The last three Sundays, we're going to stand and we're going to read the fourth chapter together. Don't worry, it's only one verse longer than the last two chapters. Eleven little verses here. If you still haven't found it, try page 1005. Might not be right in your Bible, but hope it helps. We'll have the scriptures on the screen here. Please follow along with me, but to make sure that this makes sense... We're going to back up and we're going to read the last verse of the previous chapter first. I'm going to read Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 and then we're going to jump into the fourth chapter. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, talking about the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented 
and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now let's read chapter 4. It says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. When the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Now, I've got to give you my initial commentary on chapter 4. That's weird. In fact, I conferred with one of our scholars back there in the tech booth. And uh, Earl agreed with me. That's a weird chapter. He said, I read it before church this morning. I can't wait to see what you say about it. I can't either. That's weird. But you know what? All of God's word is for reproof, for rebuke, for reproach. It's for correction. It's for encouragement. God has a word for us out of this chapter. Come on, hold your Bible in your hand and pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you that it gives life and nourishment and strength to our soul. God, quicken your word in my heart today. Lord, allow me to say exactly what you want me to say from this text. And God, beyond what I can communicate with my limited vocabulary, we invite the Holy Spirit of God, the one who puts breath on the page, to speak to our hearts specifically. Holy Spirit, bring to mind the illustrations uh, that, that are not going to be mentioned by me today. God, let this word connect personally with each and every one of us. God, we thank you for your word. We open our lives, Lord. Examine us, search us, and know us through your word. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Talked about Jonah and his will. We've talked about Jonah and worship. We've talked about Jonah and a whale. We've talked about Jonah and the word of God. Now we get to talk about Jonah and the worm. God's got a word for us here today as we jump into this text. 
I want to just do what we've done. I don't always preach this way, but I just decided for this series I would. I just want to go line by line right through the story and allow God's word to speak to our hearts. So we're going to begin, as we have every week, with the first verse, and we're going to move through this text. It says in verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. So here's what's happening in this moment. Jonah is second-guessing God. That's the bottom line. God has a plan. Jonah disagrees with it. He's second-guessing God. Here's the reality. Jonah resents the fact that God has just given grace to Israel's enemies. The Ninevites were a ruthless people. I'll give you some more details about them in a moment. But the reality is Jonah wants to see them punished, not saved. And so when he goes and he preaches that 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown and then God relents. God has mercy on them because they prayed and they repented and they and they humbled themselves. Jonah is frustrated. Now, let me just so you don't just, you know, point fingers at Jonah and think he's a a terrible guy who shouldn't have got his name in the Bible. Let me just tell you why he felt the way that he did. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians brutally dominated Israel for decades. The ancient Assyrians were among the most ruthless of ancient warriors. There was a picture that was discovered among the ruins of the Hall of Judgment at an ancient Assyrian palace in Khorsabad, Iraq. And the image depicts a naked man with his limbs outstretched, his wrists and his ankles fastened to the floor or a wall. Standing above him is a large bearded man who is peeling his skin off of his back. The bearded man is the chief of the executioners doing this horrible work. There are all kinds of examples that have been uh, excavated and explored throughout history of, of the Assyrians' severity. A captured king, a king that was captured by the Assyrians would be taken to the capital and be compelled to pull the royal chariot of triumph, oftentimes by putting rings in his nose and in his ears. Oftentimes, his hands, his feet, his nose or his ears would be cut off. They were blinded, their eyes were gouged out, their tongues were ripped out of their mouths. Prisoners were skinned alive and set on fire. Oftentimes those skins were hung near the enemy city gates as a threat to collect tribute. I read an Assyrian war bulletin and one of the soldiers said these words, I destroyed, I demolished, I burned. I took their warriors prisoner and I impaled them on stakes before the cities. I flayed the nobles as many as had rebelled and I spread their skins out on the piles of dead corpses. Many of the captives I burned in fire. Many I took alive. From some I cut off their hands. From others I cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of their soldiers. This is the Assyrian people. A ruthless people. Who had no mercy. As they overtook to become the world power. And so you can understand Jonah's frustration when God says, go to Nineveh and preach. And tell them in 40 days, they will be overthrown. Jonah thought he knew what the best plan was. The idea of Nineveh being overthrown was a good idea. 
Jonah didn't have any problem with going and telling them that God wanted to punish them. In fact, he wanted to see God punish them. But can, can I just ask you this rhetorical question this morning? Has God ever done something or has God ever allowed something that you didn't agree with? Maybe it was something that you saw on the news and some atrocity that took place in the world. And, and you had that, that just wrenching in your gut. You said, God, why would you even allow something like that to happen? I've been there. Maybe it was something more personal in your own life. Something that happened and you said, God, this, this just doesn't make sense. God, this isn't fair. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. See, now we can start to understand Jonah's plight just a little bit. He was in a situation where God did something that made him angry. God allowed something that didn't make sense in his understanding. And and I just want to confess to you as, as the pastor of this church this morning, I don't always understand what God's up to. Now, I'm going to try to explain this story, but I can't explain everything God does. I can't explain why God doesn't intervene in crisis situations. As I saw in the news here recently about, uh, about young girls that had been locked in someone's basement right here in, in this local area of the Susquehanna Valley. And, and I, I hear about stories like I think, God, you know, why do you even let people like that live? I mean, can I just be honest with you? I'm working on it, but I don't have a lot of grace for pedophiles. I mean, God's working on me, but, but you know, it's just, it's not a strong suit for me. I, I, I don't have much grace for those kind of people. I would kind of fall in the camp with Jonah and just say, God, give them what they deserve. The reality is God doesn't always see things the way that we see it. And the truth is, our grace is much smaller than his. And the reality for me is I don't serve God because I understand everything that he does. I serve God because he's God and I'm not. He's God and I'm not God. And as I look through the scripture, I see that Paul the apostle got it. He understood that God is God and we are not. Let me give you a verse. You can see it on the screen with me out of Romans chapter 11. This is the doxology that, that Paul gives right before he moves into the 12th chapter. He says these words. This is a, a prayer that the church could sing, a song that they could sing. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Now look at this next verse. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, Paul is saying it all comes from God. And everything is sustained by the power of God. And all things find their purpose in returning glory to God. So who are we to question God? He is the authority of all. He's the power of all. It's all for His glory. And so Paul makes this declaration. And then in the very next verse, he gives the appropriate response. Now a lot of times we don't connect these verses because the next verse starts the next chapter. But when Paul wrote the letter, he didn't write chapters and verses they added those later so we could find Romans 12.1 on a Sunday morning. But in the next verse, Romans 12.1, in light of the fact that it's all for God, it's all from God, and it's all coming back to God in glory, Paul says, here's what you ought to do in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This, he said, is your true and proper worship. Paul got it. God is God. He is limitless and we are finite. Peter got it too. There was a time when when Jesus began teaching a difficult message. And in fact, the Bible says Jesus started talking about how Moses had uh, prayed and God sent bread down from heaven to, to feed the children of Israel manna in the wilderness. But then Jesus says, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. And unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in me. Now, Jesus didn't give them the courtesy of explaining that this was a metaphor. And he's starting to sound a little crazy, like he's talking about cannibalism. And people started saying, this is a hard teaching, Jesus, that you're giving. And the Bible says that many people started turning away. In John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From this time, many people turned back and no longer followed him. But look at the next verse. Jesus said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him and he said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter got to the place where he got it. He understood that God does some things, Jesus does some things that don't make sense to me. And when I come to the place where what he does makes no sense to me, I just have to trust him. You're going to leave now that it doesn't make sense? You're going to leave because things didn't work out the way you wanted them to? Are you going to leave because some, something terrible happened and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't fit into your limited understanding? Peter said, I, I can't. I can't leave. Where else am I going to go? I'm already fully persuaded that you're, you're the son of the living God. I'm just going to have to walk by faith a little longer. See, God said in Isaiah... 55. He told us, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Look at it. He said, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He doesn't see things the way we see him. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and to what? To lean not on our own understanding. When you don't see things the way God sees them. When you disagree with God. The only solution is to change your opinion. Because he said, I am the Lord. I change not. You can't change his mind. And if you're here today and you go, wow, I, that's, I don't think I can, I can do that in, in this particular area. Then the Holy Spirit has just allowed you to see an area of your life. Where you have not surrendered to his lordship. If there's an area of your life, any area of your life, say, so, you know, I, lo- I love God, but, but I, just, I, just can't, I just can't get with God on this. This just doesn't make sense to me, so I can't trust God in that area. And that's an area where you haven't surrendered to his lordship. To say, God, I'm not walking by my understanding. I'm not walking by sight. I'm walking by faith. And Lord, even if, even if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you and i'm gonna have faith to believe see what god did in jonah's uh, story just seemed wrong to jonah but the good thing is even though it seemed wrong to jonah this time 
he responded correctly. You remember in chapter 1 how he responded when God said, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh? The Bible says he ran the other way. But this time, he responded the correct way. Look at verse 2. It says he prayed to the Lord. Now, now we've already read the story once, so we're on the same page here. And you know Jonah has a, a bad attitude, no doubt. His complaints are out of line, absolutely. But at least in this moment, he's pouring out his frustration to God. And can I just encourage you today, no matter how frustrated you are, no matter how disappointed or even mad you might be at God, he can handle it. He's got thick skin and big shoulders. Whatever your frustration is, continue to go to God. God is not, God is not bothered or put off by Jonah's prayer. He doesn't rebuke Jonah for praying in this way. He embraces the honesty of this confused prophet. And it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. And the reality is for us, church, it's easy to pray when the mood is right. I mean, it's easy to pray when, when everybody's together and we're all worshiping and we're all singing and we're all praying and, and, and you're a part of that kind of atmosphere. But it's also easy to make excuses not to pray when our mood is wrong. It's easy to make excuses not to pray when we don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood. I don't feel like praying. But listen, those are the moments that you really should press in and just do it out of discipline. Because sometimes the very thing that you need to bring to God is the mood that's keeping you from God. You need to go to God about the fact that you don't want to pray. Sometimes the first prayer out of your mouth needs to be, God, I don't really feel like praying. He's not going to shut the heavens on you and be offended. He's going to honor your faithfulness. It's going to honor your, your willingness to just press in and do it anyway. Because oftentimes, it's our heart attitude that God wants to change. Can I just remind you that prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes ours. Prayer changes our mind. And, and because Jonah prayed, he was able to get the mind of God in this situation. Now, we don't know that from reading it, but I'll tell you why I know that. I know that God gave him the mind of God in this situation because we have this book. I mean, if Jonah hadn't comprehended what God was trying to say, he would not have written the most self-deprecating book in all of the Bible. I mean, he really looks bad in chapter 4. I mean, he, he looks terrible. And, and he doesn't even give a nice wrapped up conclusion. The story just kind of ends with a question. But the reality is, he wrote this book because God revealed a truth to him. What we read earlier in Isaiah 55 is true. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But when we pray, hear me, when we pray, God reveals his ways to us through the Spirit. That's what prayer is all about. When you pray, God will show you his ways. He will show you his will. It's funny, I've heard this verse uh, quoted all my life, and oftentimes it's quoted out of context. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I've heard that verse quoted all of my life. And a lot of times we quote that verse, we say, Eye hath not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And then we follow with this kind of statement. We have no idea the plans that God has for us. God has some plans you can't even imagine. And while that might be true, look at the very next verse. Paul says, These things... 
These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And so I I like this translation in the NIV because it makes sense of what he's trying to say. He's not trying to say, we have no idea what God has planned for us. No eye can see it. No mind can conceive it. No heart can imagine it. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human has ever conceived, the things that God prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. God doesn't want to leave you in the dark. God wants to reveal his heart to you and he does it by his spirit. So let, let's look forward in the story here. Jonah's, Jonah's attitude is incorrect. But let's see what comes of his prayer. Verse 2 and 3. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said Lord. When I was still at home. That's why I tried to forestall. By fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger. And abounding in love. A God who relents from sending Calamity. Right there, he was quoting uh, the, the interaction that Moses had with God in Exodus, I believe chapter 34, where Moses says, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And what does God do? He reveals his goodness to Moses. And in that moment, he tells him he's a God who is compassionate, God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. And Jonah says, I knew all that about you. I knew you were going to do that. That's why when you said, go preach to Nineveh, I said, forget it. Because I know what's best. And the reality is, if I go and preach to Nineveh and tell them in 40 days, you're going to overthrow them, you're not going to overthrow them. They're probably going to listen to me. They're probably going to repent. And then you're going to forgive them. And the worst thing you could do is forgive the Ninevites. So the best thing I can do to help you out is to run away. And so Jonah is arguing with God. He's saying, God, I knew You were going to do this. And the fact that you did it. The fact that you forgave these wicked people. They don't deserve it. If they deserve it. Then I don't even want to live anymore. And as irrational as it sounds. That's the place where Jonah is in verse 3. He says Lord take away my life. Take away my life. He wasn't scared to preach to Nineveh. He was scared that God might actually forgive them. And here's how Jonah is running ahead of God. He's not the prophet declaring like he said he would in chapter 2 and verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. He's now trying to be God. He's climbed up on the judgment seat. He's on the throne saying, you deserve grace. You don't deserve grace. And here's how he runs ahead. You know, some scholars, they actually say that that Jonah shouldn't even be a book in the canon of Scripture. Because he only has one one little prophecy. It's only one verse long. And it's not even to the children of Israel. It's to some pagan nation. And not only does he not prophesy to Israel, but he doesn't even mention Israel. In the whole book. And so there's some people that that argued and said, Jonah shouldn't even be in the canon of Scripture. It shouldn't be one of the 66 books in the Bible because he doesn't even mention the people of God. But I want to communicate to you that even though Jonah doesn't mention Israel, he is a prophet of Israel. And at his heart, 
His desire, like all the other prophets, is to see Israel turn back to God. And so he has a plan in mind. Here's how it's going to happen. God is going to destroy the Ninevites because of their sin. And Israel, who was complacent about the, the laws of God and they weren't obeying God either, they're going to wake up. They're going to see the judgment of God on their enemies. And they're going to repent. And they're going to turn back. And revival's going to happen. And the people of Israel are going to be saved. And that's the plan. And so Jonah, no, that's the plan. But when God chooses not to do that plan, he feels like a failure. He feels like a failed prophet. And he's not the only one that felt that way. Even the great prophet Elijah made the same mistake. You remember the story in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah goes and he confronts the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And, and I mean, this is in Israel. This is the people of God. But, but King Ahab and his wife Jezebel were so wicked. They had all of these false prophets dining at their table. And God uses Elijah to go and to have a confrontation on Mount Carmel. He calls all these prophets together and he says, You build an altar to your God and pray that he'll call down fire and consume the sacrifice. I'll build an altar to the living God and I'll pray. And whosoever God sends fire... Let him be God. And so he, he just draws a line in the sand and has a confrontation with all of these false prophets. One prophet of God against 850 false prophets. And he just knows in his heart, here's what's going to happen. God is going to reveal himself through the fire. And this is going to change the hearts of the king and queen. They're going to lead the nation of Israel back to righteousness. And sure enough, God reveals himself in the fire. The, the 850 prophets, they, they cry out all day and nothing happens. And then Elijah prays a little prayer and God sends fire and consumes the sacrifice. And then in that moment, all the people, the Bible said, cried out, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And Elijah calls for them to gather these 400 prophets of Baal and to kill them on the spot. He, he, he destroys the false prophets. And in his mind, he knows revival is coming to Israel. People are, are declaring that God is, is the Lord God and that there is no other. It's going to be great. But the Bible says in the next chapter, chapter 19, that King Ahab went and he told his wife, Jezebel, what Elijah had done. And instead of repenting and saying, oh, wow, God, God is truly God and, and we need to repent. Instead, in 1 Kings chapter 19, she says, I'm going to kill Elijah Within the next 24 hours. And Elijah is so confused. That his plan. Is not the plan that God is going with. He's so frustrated. That he did everything that he thought he was supposed to do. And yet his plan's not working out. The Bible says in the next verse. That he ran away afraid for his life. This man who had just encountered 850 prophets all by himself. Is running from this woman. He's afraid. And the next verse says, and this is, this is Elijah's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4. He said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. You ever found yourself running ahead of God? You ever been so convinced you just knew how it was going to work out? You just knew what God was going to do or what God should do in a situation? And then he didn't? And then things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go. You didn't get the report you thought you were going to get. You didn't get, the, you didn't get the apology that you thought somebody was going to give you. 
You didn't get the promotion or, or whatever it was, but you just knew that, you know what, I've been faithful. I've done this. I've, I've done everything I was supposed to do. Now, God, this is your opportunity to come through and to meet me halfway. And he doesn't. Instead, you get a death threat from the queen. Instead of the judgment that you just knew your enemies deserved, God gives them grace. I just want to tell you this morning, just because your plan for God failed, it doesn't mean God's plan for you failed. He's God. and We're not. And in these moments where what God is doing makes no sense, we have to bow our knee. We have to humble our heart and acknowledge the fact that He is supreme. He is omnipotent. He knows all. It's all from Him. It's all sustained by Him. And it's all coming back to Him in glory. So we have to humble ourselves and recognize in that moment that God is God and we are not. The reality is Jonah had prophesied 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. His prophecy came true. Because the same word that can be used to be said overthrow could also be turned upside down. And isn't it just possible that if revival would come to this wicked city of Nineveh, if everything that they did, if their attitude, their actions, the gods that they served was all flipped upside down, that Jonah's prophecy would be true. And that's exactly what happened. Not the way he wanted, not what he had hoped for, but what God said would happen, did happen. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, now Jonah doesn't answer the question. We don't get an answer from him this time. But God's going to ask the question again in verse 9. The fact that God even asked the question communicates something to us this morning. And I want you to hear this. Your mood matters to God. Your mood matters to God. That God would ask Jonah in the midst. I mean, just think about what's happening on a national level. It's not enough that, that Jonah did go and preach to Nineveh. It's not enough that Jonah did preach and that the people responded. They repented. They turned from sin. I mean, Jonah did what, at the end of the day, he did what God told him he was supposed to do. But God asked him a question about his attitude. And it communicates to me that our attitude, our mood, it matters to God. It matters to him. Because this book is all about God's heart for lost people. And how different that is from Jonah and the rest of Israel who would have rather just seen their enemies be destroyed. I mean, if the book was just about saving Nineveh, it would have ended at chapter 3. We wouldn't have chapter 4. I mean, at the end of chapter 3, God saw what they did. They turned from their evil ways. He relented. He saved them. End of story. And Jonah saves face. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to write chapter 4. To reveal the issues in his heart. To reveal his frustration with the will of God. To tell us the real reason that he ran in the first place. Was not out of fear or out of rebellion. But out of hatred for those that he didn't believe deserved the grace of God. Why does it matter today? It matters to us because this book is about the difference between God's heart. To save a lost world. And much of the church's heart. That could care less about a world that is dying without a savior. Your mood matters. 
The Bible says in Philippians 2, 5, I love this verse. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. I, I like the New Living Translation. It says, you must have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That's the standard. Have the same attitude that Jesus had. And if you read the next several verses there, he talks about how Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, even to the point of a servant, even to the point of death. He humbled himself. And and Paul says to the church at Philippi, you ought to have the exact same attitude that Jesus had. Let let me hurry through some of this story. Verse 5 just gives us a little bit of a backdrop. It tells us that Jonah went and he sat on the east side of the city. He made himself a shelter. He sat in the shade and he waited to see what would happen. And let me just communicate something that a bad mood does. A bad mood isolates us. That's why your mood matters. I mean, Jonah should have been in Nineveh. He just preached a five-word sermon and the whole city got saved. This could be the greatest revival in the history of mankind. But he's not. Instead, Because he's in a bad mood. He goes and he parks under a little shelter that he made outside of the city. These people are ripe for discipleship. They've just surrendered their life to a God they don't know. They, 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 They appreciate Jonah. They respect Jonah. He's come and given them hope and salvation. And he's not even with them. He leaves. And he goes off on his own. Look at the next verse. It says, The Lord God provided a leafy plant and He made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now, we took our daughters to Knoebels this week to the amusement park and I was walking around the park watching them ride rides and it was about two in the afternoon and it was getting hot and I found a little bench under a tree. And this verse came to my mind. I was very happy about the bench. I saw in the, we- in the weather this last week that temperatures reached, I think, 146 degrees in Iraq. I can promise you Jonah was very happy about the plant that day. But his joy is out of perspective It's out of context. This is the only time in the whole book that we read that Jonah's very happy about anything. And here's Jonah. He could care less about the Ninevites. He could care less about these people. He would just as soon see God wipe them off the face of the earth. But he's very happy about a plant. And can I just tell you, that's what happens when our mood is wrong. We lose perspective. We start majoring on the minors and we minor on the major things. We make mountains out of molehills. Don't elbow anybody right now, you know, because you you might live with that person. But when our attitude is wrong, how many of you know that's the truth? All of a sudden, little things become monumental. We get out of focus. And that's what happens with Jonah. He's just thrilled to death about this little plant. I got a little shade from the sun. I'm feeling good. There's a little breeze blowing. And maybe... Maybe he's happy about the plant because Jonah thinks this is an olive branch of sorts from God. The fact is, I mean, Jonah said, look, if you're going to save Nineveh, I'd rather die. Have you ever tried to leverage God? It doesn't work well, but Jonah tries to leverage God. 
40 days isn't up yet. So Jonah decides, you know what, I'm just going to sit here on the side of this hill. And I'm going to wait and see what happens to those people. And it's hot out here. And God, if you're going to save those folks, I'd rather you kill me now. But then God calls a little plant to grow up overnight and shade him. And just maybe, just maybe Jonah's going, okay, so you're finally seeing it my way. It's about time. But God had a totally different plan in mind. Because just as quickly as the Lord provided a plant to grow up over his head, Jonah didn't know he was getting set up for an illustrated sermon. The next verse, look at it. The next verse says, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Can you just imagine the moment that nice little cool breeze turned into a whipping sandstorm? And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die. I read those verses and I just have to laugh and say, aren't you glad God provides? God provided a leafy plant. And then the next verse, God provided a worm and God provided a scorching east wind in the same way that God had provided a storm in chapter one that wanted to rip the ship in two that Jonah was in. And then God provided a whale, a fish to swallow Jonah. God said in the next verse, verse nine, God said, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? See, he didn't get an answer the first time, so he asked him again. And this time, Jonah's so frustrated, he just comes out with it. It is! And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. See, the first time he didn't get the answer, but this time Jonah reveals how irrational his attitude is in this whole situation. Not going to get my revenge on Nineveh. My plant's gone. I got worms. Just kill me now. That's Jonah's attitude. I can't take it anymore. Maybe it's the heat stroke talking. But Jonah's in a situation where he doesn't understand what God's doing. And God has set the stage through this little plant. And this worm, this weird story to make the point. Not just the point for Jonah, but the point for this whole book. The the whole book comes to its main point in verse 10 and 11. And he's got Jonah right where he wants him. Look at it with me one more time. Verse 10 says, the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. You didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? In which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And also many animals. And then Jonah doesn't answer the question. At least not in writing he doesn't. But the fact that he wrote the book reveals to us that Jonah knew the answer. Yes, God. Yes, you should be concerned with Nineveh. And the fact that he wrote the book communicates that he wanted us to get the lesson. He wanted the people of God to get the lesson that yes, God should in fact be concerned 
with lost people. I think one of the reasons that Jonah leaves the question unanswered is that's kind of the point. The point is that the question is directed at us. That the question is left for you to answer. The question is left for me to answer. That every one of us have to deal with this question. Everyone who reads this book has to give a response. And the reality is for you, I doubt that the thing you cherish is a plant. But it might be something. There may be something that that you care more about than lost people. And in light of eternity, how silly does it sound? There might be something that matters more to you than the reality that people are dying and entering a Christless eternity. Every one of us were tempted, just like Jonah, to choose our own conveniences, our own preferences, over sacrifice that would change the destiny of others. You know, one of the issues that's in the news a lot lately is this whole Syrian refugee crisis. Now, I don't want to get into politics, and I don't really care what your opinion is about how much or how, or if at all, we should be involved as a nation in the refugee crisis. But I just want to use that as a context to ask you this question. Have you at all let your opinion be influenced by the plan and purpose of God to seek and to save lost people? Or is your opinion entirely based on your personal preference and convenience? See, I find sometimes I'm a lot more like Jonah than I'd like to admit. The reality is there are people who need to know about Christ. When's the last time you sacrificed financially to meet spiritual needs or even physical needs of others? It's easy to look at Jonah and to distance ourselves because of his extreme confession that I care more about a plant than I care about 120,000 people. When's the last time you prayed for the persecuted church or made a financial sacrifice Or did without so that someone else could be blessed. You know, recently, ISIS militants moved into northern Iraq. And they started identifying Christian homes and Christian businesses by putting a mark on their door. It's it's the letter N in their language, the noon. It's the first letter that the Quran uses to describe Christians. So they began to move into this city and they began to tag Christians' homes and businesses with this letter N. And they gave them a choice once they were called out, once they had been tagged. They gave them a choice. The choice was this. You can either say the Shahada of Islam and denounce your faith in Christ or lose everything. And in just over a week, 100,000 Christians were displaced from Mosul, Iraq. 100,000 in just over a week. It's interesting to note that Mosul, Iraq is the current name of the city of Nineveh. How quickly would we want to just turn on the news and see those God-awful people 
and say, God, just, just send fire down on them and consume them. Can I remind you, though, this morning that the Apostle Paul was a terrorizer of Christians before God saved him. How easy it is for us, let's put it back in our world, to look at co-workers, to look at neighbors, to look at people that are just so far from God and so infuriating to us, and to just write them off and say, God can't save them, God's never going to save them, God doesn't have a plan for them, they bother me. How easy it is for us to care for our plants. To be so preoccupied with our own conveniences that we miss. We miss the mission that God's called us to. How much is a soul worth this morning, church? And how much does the value of that soul stack up to whatever our conveniences might be? Now, I'm not ending this service taking a missions offering. I'm asking you to let the Lord search your heart, search your attitude, your choices. Because it's easy. It's easy to look at Jonah's extreme example and to say, who would ever do that? The reality is we've probably all been guilty a time or two. Now, I want to pray for you this morning. You know, the question that was asked was asked in terms of the souls of others. But it can also be asked of your own soul. Jesus asked a similar question. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So I want to ask you a question today. You might be here in this service and this question is for you. Have you valued the things of this world more than your own soul? Not the souls of others, but more than your own soul. That's the question Jesus was asking. The reality is it profits you nothing. He who dies with the most toys still dies. And then the judgment. What does it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? If you're here today and you say, you know what, I've been, I've been putting things, conveniences, the stuff that's temporary to this life, I've been putting that before God. I've been putting that before dealing with the condition of my own soul. God wants to rescue you today. God wants to wake you up to what matters the most. So I want to pray for you, and I want to just invite you to bow your head with me all over this room. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray for all of us as a church. But right now, right now, this is just for those of you who feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. He's tugging at your heart, and he's challenging you not to, not to be preoccupied anymore with your own conveniences, not to be preoccupied anymore with all the stuff that has kept you away from dealing with the issues of eternity. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today. He's calling you. He's calling you like He called the Ninevites. He's calling you like He called Jonah, who ran from God. He's pursuing you. He wants to save you. He wants to be your Lord. Maybe the reason that you're far from God is because there was a time in your life that God did something that didn't make sense to you. It infuriated you. How could you let them die, God? How could you not come through for me? How could you let that happen? 
how'd you let them do that to me? My prayer for you is that you come to the conclusion that the Apostle Paul came to. That you come to the same conclusion that Peter came to. You're God. And this might not make sense to me and I don't understand your ways fully. But you're God and I'm not. And so today, God, I surrender. Not based on my understanding. But on faith. I put my trust in you today. Because your ways are higher than my ways. 